0: It is 21 minutes now before four o'clock coming up next we're in conversation with uh, the deputy uh, director general for the department of um, the deputy director general for nhi in the national department of health that is dr nicholas crisp and this is after the national assembly passed the um, national health insurance bill the nhi bill um, it still has to go through for for concurrence uh, through the National Council of uh, Provinces, and then eventually to the president, who would then um, have to enact it. Um, but it's still at a process where public comment is still being taken. It's still going to go through. Um, it's still going to go through uh, the NCOP. So as we have Dr. Nicholas Crisp on. Um, Any questions that you need clarity on when it comes to the NHI, this is your opportunity to ask him those questions directly so that you do get the clarity on that. So some people have raised concerns around the NHI. There's also been some misinformation as well in relation to the NHI. um, And maybe some of that misinformation is something that has concerned you and you don't know that it is misinformation. Um, This is your opportunity to actually get clarity on some of those issues. So please uh, do give me a call on 86 you can also drop me a voice note on 0614-104-107 and a tweet at Alderan St. Pierre. So questions that you have in relation to um, the national insurance um, bill and how it will work, how it would affect you, um, whether you are a medical professional or whether you would be a patient. And perhaps you are one of those people who actually already pay their medical aid what concerns do you have? If you are somebody who's actually welcoming the NHI, we'd love to hear from you as well. On zero six one four-one zero four one zero seven. Your tweets at St. Pierre and our studio line is zero eight six zero two zero three two. So Dr. Nicholas Crisp is now joining us on the line. The Department of Health has welcomed the passing of the National Health Insurance Bill, describing it as a historic moment for the country. According to the department, the NHI aims to provide equitable access to quality health services for all Africans based on their health needs instead of their socio-economic status and geographic location. Dr. Nicholas Crisp is the Deputy Director General for NHI in the National Department of Health and now joins us on the line. Dr. Crisp, good afternoon and thank you so much for making time for us. Afternoon, Aldrin, and afternoon to your listeners and I'm sorry I dropped you the other day when I had to chair a meeting
1: at short notice.
0: No problem, but thank you that you've made time for us now. Um, I want to start off here um, DDG and that is on the, the, the sustainable development goals speak to a national health insurance or universal access to health. How is the NHI answering that?
1: Yeah, thanks very much. So this is an enormously complicated area. So we have a very complicated health system, but it's essentially a two tier system, one run by the public service with public money out of the budgets of that is allocated through parliament and the provincial governments essentially run those health services. And then we have another parallel service which looks after about fifteen percent of the population that is privately financed through medical schemes and through out of pocket payments. The problem is now that the, the The second one, which looks after the 15 to 16 percent of the population, is now spending more money than we spend on the public health service. And uh, that has become a a drain on the public health service as people move out of public service into the private sector where it's easier to make a living and it's a, a more comfortable environment to work. And with the budget's been cut in the public service. We now don't are unable to fill posts and we can't repair things anymore. And you know the rest of the story. It's a negative cycle. So in, uh, for, we've known and watched it coming for some time while we've been trying to prepare this bill. You're aware there's been a green and a white paper and lots of consultations over many years. Then COVID disrupted us and now we're back on track. And what we're trying to do is get all the resources that are available in the country both in the public and the private sector, and make sure that we're able to buy from both public and private sector to look after all of us. The idea is to pre-finance the whole thing through taxes so that when we need healthcare, we don't have to pay for them at that time. So no more top-up payments required, no more cash for everyone, your medical scheme runs out, uh, and uh, every time you uh, you need to access the health services, you get the same file, you don't have to duplicate your files and so on. So it's a complicated and long process that needs to be built, but that's what we're aiming to do.
0: Um, so when you speak about no no longer um, top-ups that would be required, would that, that apply also to somebody who's traveling out of South Africa?
1: So when you travel to another country, or even if you travel into South Africa, you need to pay for your health care in that country. So you would need to get travel insurance and medical insurance. That's something different from a medical scheme. So if you, if you go on holiday to, I don't know, somewhere in Europe, you don't, you're not a contributor to their tax pool, so you would have to pay for health care if you get sick there. The same will apply here
0: okay zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. you can also drop me a tweet at aldrin simpia our studio line is zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. any questions that you have in relation to the nhi and clarity that you need please do give us uh, a call or you can get in contact with us we're in conversation with uh, dr nicholas crisp who's the deputy director general for nhi in the national department of health so one of the concerns that was raised um, dr crisp is that we can't have one pot that deals with um, the health of the entire country, um, how would the NHI ensure that we don't have a collapse of the entire health system, considering that there are already concerns when it comes to how, for instance, the public sector deals or handles uh, public money and also how the public sector is already struggling with the public health sector?
1: So, I mean that comment is like saying we don't accept we should have one SARS to collect all of our tax. I mean it's the same comment I mean it's ridiculous. Why shouldn't we have one one collection, one payment system, we have one pension payment system for the country, we have one SARS collecting all the money for the fiscus. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to build the capabilities. Uh, over a period of time to look after the money and pay for everybody. When it comes to the providers of health care, we know that the public sector is in a dire strait. As I've said, the budget keeps being cut. We only spend about 5,200 uh, rand per person per year in the public sector, but we spend 27,000 rand per person Per annum in the in the private sector, so it's not comparable. If we pool all those resources and uh, the fund is buying for all of us when we need healthcare, then we yeah. should be able to access all the providers, both the public and the providers, uh, and, the, and the private providers. And there should be enough for all of us to look after the real health care that, that we all yeah. need.
0: But but isn't the difference here that while you speak about SARS being the sole revenue collector, that here we're speaking about personal health care, and we've seen status A has come up with stats that around, uh, at, at least for people who are part of the highest LSM, spend up to 30% of their income on healthcare. So that's how seriously they take this thing. And the risk there is um, going to a public public hospital where you may not even find a bed.
1: So why, why is the assumption? I don't connect, get the connection between having to go to a public hospital if you're a if you're a private payer, you go to the nearest hospital that's the most appropriate for the care that you need. Sure, but the but, problem but, in the private sector, Aldrin, yeah. is that people in the private sector will start off seeing a dermatologist for scabies when they should have gone to the local pharmacy or to the clinic and they didn't even need to see a GP, but they go to a dermatologist. They've got some minor ailment and they end up going to a pediatrician or a gynecologist rather than the GP. That's extremely wasteful. And it's, uh, it means it sucks resources away from people who need those specialists because they genuinely need, have specialist health care needs. So that kind of realignment of what has been created by the bad financing mechanisms we have at the moment is what the NHI aims to achieve.
0: Um, but, but but still, Dr. Crisp, we're still speaking here about somebody who spends a lot of money for quality and also for convenience, and convenience that the public sector currently can't offer.
1: Yeah, so uh, that person's uh, needs are there, but so are the needs of the other 61 million people in the country. And uh, we have a constitution that says we have to look after everyone. So the government yeah. has a responsibility to make sure that we make fair access and that we uh, don't discriminate uh, against people just because they're poor.
0: Yeah, but it's fair access using m- somebody else's money.
1: Well, tax is always somebody else's money, mm-hmm. and people yeah. are under the misconception that poor people don't pay tax. They do. They pay VAT and they contribute to all the imports and excise duties that are associated yeah. with whatever goods they deal with. It, I, I, you know It's really unfair to get into a situation where we pick on poor people just because they are poor.
0: I don't think that's the case. Um, The problem is that the public sector itself has not built any confidence that people can have in it to actually say that, let me rather go to the public sector instead of going to a private private hospital. So how does the NHI deal with that particular element that says that my money is now going to go into this one particular pot, which will Hmm. be handled by the state. Sure, there will be a board that's appointed. And I have to say, I find it quite interesting the, the, the route that is being taken, that the board will be coming from the public, of course, and there'll be public call to, for people to form part of the board and there'll be interview, in, interviews and so forth. So it's very mm. open and it's, quite, and it's quite transparent. But then mm. how do you ensure that the money itself is actually used for its purpose?
1: Yeah, so I mean, that's always a challenge and the, the way to do it is to make sure it's always as transparent as possible and that it's always one system, not devious different systems for different people. I mean, how do you know how your money is spent by your medical aid on you or other people? You have no way of determining that and the outcomes are not published either. So. Uh, those are the kinds of challenges we need to avoid, and we need to make sure that we all know what are the benefits. We all know mm-hmm. what the what we are paying for those benefits to providers. At the moment, you have no idea what you are paying for the benefits to any particular provider. Even if you ask for your statement, sometimes they don't give it to you. So, I, I, look, this, the current system is as, as uh as opaque as it comes. And that's the trick, is to get it as transparent as possible. Everything in the public domain.
0: Okay. zero six one four one zero four one zero seven. You can also drop me a tweet at Aldrin Simpia. This one says, why does Dr. Chris say the public sector is an uncomfortable place to work in? Why does he say that they cannot repair the equipment? Um, I I don't know if Dr. Chris, uh, did, did you say that?
1: Yeah, I did. I said that uh, you know, if you're spending five thousand two hundred rand per person per annum, compared with six times or five and a half times that amount in the private sector, your resources are fewer, and it's more difficult. You have more patients for the the same for a small number of doctors or nurses and it is it's a very difficult place to work because the Mm -hmm. workload is so huge many of the people who come to the public sector have uh, waited long to get there and because of the numbers involved so they come with quite advanced conditions and it's frustrating our clinician colleagues and even when I worked at the clinical services years ago it was always like that you've got large large numbers of people but very complicated conditions and it's hard
0: to work there. Okay, let's take some of the voice notes on zero six one four one zero four one zero seven uh Mr Elderin good morning. good afternoon it's it's Dumiso in Pragpan what I want to understand about the NHI is that uh, is it an automatic thing uh that one will have to have um uh, as a as a deduction so to speak like your uif on your salary which uh, must be there uh, through your employer or is it something that one can actually opt out of uh, i just want to understand that good afternoon mr cmp you're speaking to pumala i will say let's give nhi a chance as long as they will work hand in hand With the medical aid let's give them a chance i can tell you now for free that if it was not compulsory for these uh, companies to impose that on people people will terminate their medical aid some people are on the medical aid because it's compulsory so let's give the uh, nhi a chance and work hand in hand with the medical aid i thank you Good afternoon, Adrian. With regards to NHI, I just have two questions for your guest. Will there be an oversight body that will uh, uh, check uh, uh, compliance in terms of uh, prevention of things like corruption, you know, and how things are run? Number two, will there be no change in terms of the prices that are being charged by the private sector because when everything now is equal, what's going to happen to the high pricing that the private sector is charging? And will that will that, will that not lead to the exodus of professionals like doctors going seeking cleaner pastures abroad because of uh, the because as we know, our health sector is on its knees currently. It's terrible here. Okay, Dr. Crisp.
1: Yeah, Thanks very much. A number of interesting questions there. The first one is that uh, there's not an option to opt out. Once you live in the country and you're already paying tax, you will be part of the national health insurance and the, the medical schemes will not be allowed to cover the benefits that are being covered by the fund. Now, that will be phased in, so it will take a while to increase the benefits and they will be published so that everyone can see what's covered and what's not so the medical schemes will continue to cover only those benefits which are not being paid for by the fund. As far as the the monitoring and oversight and corruption and pricing and all of that is concerned, so the fund will determine the prices. This is how it works in all countries who have national health insurances, and the, most countries in the world now have some form of national health insurance. So the prices are set nationally. It's usually done in some kind of a negotiating forum or a multilateral uh, body where we engage, where the fund engages with the, uh, the various providers. But once it's set, the same price for the same condition or the same outcome is paid to a provider, whether they're in the public or the private sector. Um, and I'm not sure what else uh, somebody asked. What did I cover them?
0: Uh, sure. I think you covered them. The one around, um, uh, around the opting out, you said that that there's no option to opt out, but how, where would, how would the money be collected?
1: So uh, yes, so that was also asked. So the, the, the money is all collected through tax. That's how government collects money. SARS collects the money. And in the descriptions in the bill, the primary source of funding is the current tax that is raised. So the treasury, with through a money bill, will either increase those taxes by, you know, whether it's uh, combinations of that or personal tax or whatever, to be able to collect the money that's no longer being uh, collected through voluntary payments to medical schemes. And the alternative that is created in the bill, which may is may will become an option to Treasury, is to have a payroll tax. Now, not everybody uh, likes the idea of a payroll tax, so that will be Treasury's decision when the time comes. But once I no longer have to spend five or six or ten thousand rand a month on a medical scheme, because I'm not going to ever use it since they're not allowed to cover the benefits of the funds, covering, I wouldn't mind spending 8000 out of my 10000 on additional taxes knowing I'm going to be covered anyway.
0: And the concern around the brain drain? So we hear these threats, and all
1: countries who implement national health insurances get the same threats. We see a lot of migration of health professionals around the world. A lot of people come here deliberately to work in our service, and some South Africans leave here for whatever reasons they leave. So we do see what we call professional churn, and in the health sector, it's quite high. Um, so then there may well be people who choose to leave. I would be very sad to see that because we have very good and competent professionals in our country, and we'd like them to be part of the solution. Uh, I'm not sure where they're going to go because the countries, other than the United States, all the countries we hear them talk about are all national health insurance who fix their prices, tell you where to work, prescribe the conditions you're allowed to deliver. And so it's very much what we've modeled ours on. Whether that's Australia, New Zealand, or in the Scandinavian countries, or in Europe, they all have national health insurance. I'm not sure uh, what the benefit would be of doing that.
0: Thank you so much for your time. Dr. Nicholas Crisp.